It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. This is the New York City Cast with Will Hill, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome to the New York City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. A Friday show for you. Mike Sando of The Athletic will join us. We will talk about his column, the quarterback tiers, ranking all the quarterbacks, separating them into tiers. Uh, it should be an interesting discussion. Always one of my favorite columns of the year. So looking forward to talking with Mike. We'll spend a lot of time on the quarterbacks. Uh, before we do that, we do have some baseball games tonight. Yankees win one nothing last night. Boy, they spent the whole night. If you watch that game, that was uh, uh, tough to watch. Yankees didn't get a whole lot of traffic. Benatendi didn't do anything. Uh, and then Judge hits one to the moon, his third walk-off homer. He's got a chance here to, to kind of reestablish himself as the favorite for MVP. As, uh, you know, third walk-off homer, the Angels have not played well here. Maybe with Trout being hurt, they shut down Otani. But Yankees back in action tonight. Minus 360 at Bet Rivers, uh, hosting the Royals, obviously with a, a price like that, and the total is 8.5, means Garrett Cole is on the mound, which he is. Chris Bubich going for the Royals. It's hard to lay that kind of number. Uh, I would just sort of look towards the props here at Bet Rivers. Again, same game parlay, props. There's plenty of options here at Bet Rivers. How about Cole? 8.5 strikeouts under. That might be a, a way to go. Asking him to get to 9 is a lot. I mean, I know, you know how great he is and... He'll certainly get close, but asking him to get to 9-plus is a lot. I would go under 8.5 strikeouts. As I would expect the Yankees to win, maybe you look for Yankees to score first here and lay a short price. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just it's hard to lay minus 160, and you're even minus 150 to score first. That'd probably be the way I would go. Figure Cole gets a you know a scoreless first, a 1-2-3 first, and then 
you know, uh, with the top of the Yankee lineup, they can scratch out a run. But uh, so that might be the way to go. Under eight and a half strikeouts for Cole. Yankees scored first minus one fifty. But look, the Yankees have their issues right now, despite the win. And you know, you don't even worry about the results except for you know keeping pace with Houston and staying ahead of them for the one seed. The Yankees are. Boy, just kind of broken on offense with, with Donaldson and Gallo. How Gallo still gets at bats, I have no idea. They really miss Stanton. Uh, you know, the catcher doesn't hit much. I know he had a nice first half, but this is a flawed team. This is a flawed team. I think if you, they played Houston in a seven-game series right now, it'd be hard for anyone to really pick the Yankees over Houston. I mean, Houston just seems like the better team, even though they've had their issues here lately. So... Uh, Yankees with the trade deadline this weekend into Tuesday. You figure they get a pitcher, a relief pitcher. The one guy who's emerged is Marinaccio, who's you know been really good. Hasn't given up a run since April 28th. There was a you know a few weeks, a month or so where he was on the DL there, but still he's pitched really well. He's elevated himself into that. I, I don't know if you want him for the eighth inning guy. Maybe you, you trade for a guy to put in the eighth inning like Robertson. You put Marinaccio as the seventh inning guy, and then the rest of your bullpen kind of falls into place and. That's sort of why it was a big home run for the Yankees. They weren't doing anything. You're going to get into a ghost runner situation. You win the game with a walk-off homer. Not just that, but Chapman was warming up in the bullpen. So you knew the Royals were going to put up like a four spot, especially with the ghost runner. That was not going to be a, a favorable situation for the Yankees. So judge with the walk-off homer. Yankees win back in action tonight. And again, I think we are setting up for just a classic MVP race. If Otani isn't traded, which I don't think he will be, and if Otani doesn't get shut down, right now Judge minus 134 at Bet Rivers, Otani even money, Alvarez 12 to 1, anyone else you can forget about it. Devers 40 to 1. They're, none of those guys are winning it. You can make a case for both guys. You can say, you know what, Judge is, Judge is on pace to hit 63 home runs. Let's just say he hits 60. 60 homers on a Yankee team that wins, probably win 106, 107 games, something like that. You got a guy on the Yankees hitting 60 homers, team wins 107 games. That's a legitimate MVP candidate. So all the Otani people say, you know what, if you think Judge is the MVP, you're an idiot. Well, I agree. Otani's got a legitimate case. He's going to finish top five in Cy Young, and he's going to hit 30-plus homers. But he's doing it on a bad team, which is, I think, going to get held against him. I think the fact that he won last year on a bad team is going to be held against him in terms of it's hard to do that two years in a row. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. It'd be, I'm really curious here if the Yankees, I'm sorry, if the Angels take offers on Otani. I mean, it's just not working with Trout, with Otani. It's just, it just doesn't matter who you have. They don't win. They just, they need to really overhaul things and sort of replenish, you know, their farm system, replenish their whole organization. I know, you know, look, Otani's the guy you want, but are you going to keep him long-term? Trout, it looks like with that back issue, might be a bad contract in the future. Maybe you just sort of hit the reset button here and, you know, try to come away with something in terms of building for the future, tank for a few years, get good draft picks, and just sort of rebuild that way. Last night, Otani did strike out 11 guys, six innings. He doesn't pitch deep into these games. That's one knock on him. Six innings, eight hits, two runs, 11 strikeouts. Did allow a homer. I mean, his pitching numbers are really good. He's a much better pitcher than he is a hitter. So, to me, it's a classic... It's a classic MVP race. Then you have Alvarez here at ten to one. Alvarez is not too far behind Judge. I mean, he doesn't have the the pinstripe premium. He's not playing in New York. He he got hurt. He missed a week or two. But uh, Alvarez is not that far behind Judge. So if you're looking to just take a flyer at someone, maybe Alvarez now down at ten to one is worth a look possibly. So that's the MVP race. The Mets. Uh, boy, it seems like they get Alcantara every time they see the Marlins. I mentioned the other day, hey, you caught the Yankees at a good time where you didn't see Cole or Cortez. You saw Domingo Herman, and you saw Montgomery, and you saw him without Stanton, without Severino, without you know, Michael King. So 
saw him before the Benintendi trade, before whatever other trade you made. So he caught the Yankees at a good time. He won both those games, but they've gotten a bad break here. It seems like they face Alcantara every time they uh, play the Marlins. Mets minus 120, total six and a half, which is as low as you'll see. Bassett versus Alcantara. Uh, I think taking, first of all, Alcantara over five and a half strikeouts would be one I would look at. I like that. And because he pitches deep in these games, he throws seven, eight inning, you know, every game. He's sort of a throwback in that sense. So I would look at Alcantara strikeouts over. And I think getting the Marlins at plus money, to me, with Alcantara on the mound, if you can get him at home at plus money, it's just sort of a no-brainer. I would take the Marlins at plus money here. And I think if you're the Mets, just big picture, hey, you, you push this thing up to a three-game lead, four in the loss column. You've done a nice job here. Atlanta gets Arizona, then they get Philly. Just kind of hold ground until you play Atlanta. If you can be up four in the loss column, even push it to five maybe, you know, win two out of three here. I think best-case scenario, win two out of three here, sweep the Nationals, extend the lead against Atlanta before your five-game series. And then you got a chance here to really deliver a knockout punch against Atlanta where if you won three out of five or, I mean, if you really want to uh, – get greedy if you won four out of five you could put the braves to bed here with a good week or two of good baseball so mets are in good shape minus 182 to win the east they did make another trade they got tyler naquin guy who can hit left-handed uh you know guy who can hit right-handed pitching to go with vogel back they're getting you know moves on the margins here they haven't made the big splash i don't know outside of soto if there's a big splash to be made but you like a little more in terms of name brand here if you're the mets now again uh, sometimes these under-the-radar moves can go out to pay big dividends. They definitely need some help in the bullpen. They got a relief pitcher in this deal. So uh, they're not done. They'll keep getting more. But I think the Met fans are a little frustrated. Wants a little more name brand, name value here with these trades. The Vogelbacks of the world. And I think Vogelbacks going to be popular here with the Mets. You know, he's got the... Boy, can they make a bigger uniform for the guy? It seems like he's busting out of his uniform. The guy weighs... <laughs> guy's a, he's a large human being. It feels like that uniform. He's wearing like a, you know, a size small... But he's going to be popular. He's going to get on base. He's going to be kind of, if he plays well, fans are going to like him. It's sort of relatable. I, I think fans like him. But fans, you can sense the Met fans right now want a little more name brand, name value, somebody I've heard of, that kind of thing, where it's like, all right, we got our guy that we can bat behind Alonzo in the door. The J.D. Martinez of the world is uh, the Red Sox won again last night. The Red Sox are going to be an interesting team this next four or five days because if they play well, I don't think they're going to sell. They're too close. They're too close. I know they're not great, but they're too close to sell. So, uh, Mets make a couple moves. They'll make a couple more. They're in good shape to win the East. But look, again, I mean, they're up three games, four in the loss. It's not like they're up 10 games. But they have uh, had a nice little three or four day stretch here where it was neck and neck. And now they've gotten a little bit of breathing room where if you lose one or two games, it's not like you fall to second place. So still a race, still a tight race. I do think the Mets are in good shape here at minus 182 to win the race. I do think, however, the Marlins at plus money tonight is probably a good bet just because Alcantara's been so dominant. But when we come back, we will talk a little football. Mike Sando on Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson. Should Jets move on? Should the Giants move on? What are people in the league saying about these guys? That is next. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Must be 21 or older. Available in New York only. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. All right, before we get to Sando, just because we only had a limited time with him and I didn't want to explain it, waste three to five minutes, you know, explaining what this is with him, uh, I just thought we'd take a little 
time here to explain what it is Mike Sando does with the quarterback tiers. He surveys, I think it's 53 people exactly, quarterbacks, GMs, executives, head coaches, all people in the league, all with high-ranking positions, and asks them to put the quarterbacks in terms of tiers. So tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five. Five, I think, is like a backup should even be in the league. Tier one, uh, to define it, is a quarterback that can carry his team each week. This team wins because of him. He expertly handles pure passing situations. He has no real holes in his game. A tier two quarterback can carry his team sometimes, but not as consistently. He can handle pure passing situations in doses and or possesses other dimensions that are special enough to elevate him above tier three. He has a hole or two in his game. Tier three is a legitimate starter, but needs a heavier run game and or defensive component to win. A lower volume drop back passing offense suits him best. A tier four guy could be an unproven player, not enough information for voters to classify, or just a veteran who ideally would not start all 17 games. And, um, you know, obviously the local guys are way down the list. And before we get to those, I just want to give you a sense of, uh, you know, the list. And he gives you a list and the tier, so it's interesting. Tier one. Uh, number one overall, Rodgers. Number two overall, Mahomes, which is interesting because one guy gave Mahomes a tier two vote, believe it or not, and says he doesn't read defenses well enough. So Mahomes two, Brady three, and this is all still tier one. Allen four, Herbert five, which look, I don't disagree with it, but 15 and 17 overall record, you would think some people would hold that against them. Not the case. So Herbert still in tier one, five overall. Burrow six overall, and that closes out tier one. Tier two starts with Stafford at seven overall, Wilson at eight overall, uh, Watson at nine overall, who's obviously very tricky. You're going to get some conflicting answers because of that. Some, one guy put Watson in the fifth tier because he's like, look, he's not a starter this year. So again, you get some strange, uh, strange, differing, varying opinions, even you know, with guys in the league. Lamar at 10, and there was an interesting quote about Lamar, said, I don't care if he wins 12 MVPs, he's still not a one because he can't throw when he has to. That got a lot of attention. But that's still tier two. Prescott, 11 overall. Again, not going to read the whole list, but Carr, 12 overall. Murray, 13 overall. And closing out tier two is Matt Ryan, 14 overall, which I think is interesting. And then starting tier number three is Cousins, which a lot of people debate. You know, is he elite? Is he good? Is he top 10? Well, Sandoz list here has Cousins tier three, 15th overall, which is interesting. So uh, now the local guys, obviously, way down the list. Zach Wilson behind Davis Mills. Zach Wilson at 28th. And to just give you a couple of the quotes here from the people he interviewed, and he usually throws in a quote with every guy. It said, Zach Wilson has got all the talent. He has all the physical talent, a defensive coach from the AFC East said. He is not lacking in any skill set from a tool standpoint. They have done a good job trying to draft and surround him with people. It'll be a big year for him to take a leap. It was a bad team last year. He made a lot of mistakes. We'll have a better sense after this year. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, uh, one other guy says he looks at the, the rush way too much. He's one of those guys who sees the rush and wants to get depth and run right, but you lose the field when you do that. And uh, I guess a head coach kind of vouched for him and said, tell me one marquee player that he had around him last year. I still think this guy's the limit for the kid. He's got some young weapons now, and I think they're going to be a lot better. So I, I would I would disagree with that in terms of, uh, you know, you could. It's easy to make excuses for the kid. They did that with Darnold, you know, in, until he wasn't even on the team anymore. Everyone blamed the Jets, blamed Gase. And I'm sure that was part of it. But the only thing about that, Mike White, our first show we ever did here, Mike White went in and lit it up against the Bengals, as everyone remembers. Josh Johnson moved the ball. 
against the Colts when he played. He did a good job. Flacco won games for him. Everybody moved the ball. Everyone played pretty well at quarterback except for Zach Wilson. So that would be my pushback there. Uh, 30th overall is Jones. The quotes on Jones are, you know, not not very uh, complimentary. One, one uh, let's see if this is a coach or a scout. Defensive coach said he has talent. He obviously can run. He has an okay arm. But that kid holds the ball too long in the pocket, which leads to turnovers. I don't think he sees the game great. I like Dayball, so maybe that will change. I just don't see it with that kid. And then uh, a head coach said he thought Jones played the game heavy-minded and would benefit from whatever creativity Dayball brings to the table. And went on to say, I think he's a classic case of a guy who didn't have enough reps coming out and then realizing pretty quickly, guess what? It is hard to develop quarterback play with a truncated offseason unless you are doing that on your own. I think this will be the last season he is a starter in the last season we are talking about him. Same goes for Drew Locke, Mitch Trubisky, all those guys. So, uh, and again, there's more. You can check out Mike Sando's column at The Athletic. Just wanted to give you a little background here in terms of what Sando does, the tiers, the rankings. Didn't want to waste all that time with him having to explain everything and because uh, he only had a limited amount of time. He's been busy. He went on Coward Show, Rosillo's podcast. He went on the McAfee one. I mean, he's been on everywhere. I, I, I don't know how he sleeps. He's basically been doing every podcast there is. These are popular. You know, it is. People like quarterbacks. They like lists. And, you know, you don't have to read much. You can read if you want, but you can just, you know, read the list and get an idea of it. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's sort of uh, a rite of summer. It's a tradition of summer where, you know, now you know football season's close because this always comes out late July, right before training camp. So, a, uh, a sign that football season is right around the corner and also right around the corner is the author of this column, Mike Sando. So we will talk to him next. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Must be 21 or older, available in New York only. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. All right, we are back. New York City cast, Bet River Sportsbook. It must be close to football season because the quarterback tier rankings are out. I remember listening to these, reading these, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And boy, it's crazy how big they've become. The author of it is Mike Sando of The Athletic, the Football GM podcast. And he joins us now. Mike, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Is uh, are, are you surprised how big this has gotten and how much people love these? Because this has gotten crazy for you. Um, you didn't, I have to go back. This is the ninth year. So early on, I didn't really know what to expect. Probably was surprised, you know, as it gained uh, momentum and, it does seem to be getting a little bit bigger uh, each year. So that's been fun. It's really fun to have something that you know seems to resonate. And I know the process of it's really good. And I think when you look at the rankings, they make sense, right? The order makes sense. And what's interesting is just talking about it. So that is the, uh, the inevitability of this is when you do this, you talk to that many people, people pull out one or two things that were said and just go nuts, you know? And uh, it's kind of, I. Part of me, when it comes out, I'm like, I try to predict, okay, what would people, it's not always apparent to the writer, like, what are people going to grab onto? Um, and so we've had plenty of things to grab onto, and I'm sure you've got a few too. Yeah, uh, I think, you, you know, the reason it's so popular, you hit a few things. People love lists. People love quarterback. You know, if you did a, a left guard, you know, list, I don't know how many people would read it. People love quarterback. People love lists, and it's in that dead time. NBA free agency is over. 
football hasn't started. It's just the dead of summer with baseball. So you kind of hit the perfect storm here in terms of, you know, the content. And look, if you just wrote something without a list, I don't know if people, people are lazy. They don't want to read it, but hey, anyone can read a list. Lists are fun. So I think that's part of it too. Sure. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, let's get right into it. Let's just start with the local teams here in terms of Jones, Wilson. Uh, how many people you talk to just, uh, I guess my takeaway, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. My takeaway, I thought people made too many excuses for him because you could say bad situation, but when you put Mike White in, he had a huge game against Cincy. Flacco had a big game. Did you feel like people were making too many excuses for Wilson in terms of a bad situation? Um, not really because it's just one year, but here's what I look for on the, the young guys. Um, because a lot of times there's, not enough information or they haven't played a lot what i my ears are attuned to this is anyone marveling at anything like like you know when, when people saw justin herbert for the first time they're like geez man who or joe burrow had a losing record as a rookie he blew his acl but people were like man we played burrow that is a real guy right you people can kind of tell right who if you have those incredible traits so this year i was really struck with some of the young guys that um, it wasn't like they're just totally writing them off, but like with Zach Wilson, no one was like, maybe you think maybe they should have been harder on him, but uh, what I look at is no one's like, wow, we saw a couple throws from Zach Wilson. And I think that's a little bit of an indicator. There was that with Trevor uh, Lawrence this year too. No one hates Trevor Lawrence, but they were kind of like noticing that for number one overall pick, they weren't like, oh man, I know they sucked, but three throws this guy made, wow. Uh, you know. That's what I look for. Didn't see, didn't hear that. So uh, maybe they should have been harsher on Wilson, but I'm fine giving somebody, you know, who walks into a, a tough situation as young, uh, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, right? Before you start holding them to that really higher standard, because uh, a lot of people could lose with the Jets. Right. I, I think my only counter to that would be, like I said, they moved the ball pretty well when he didn't play, whether it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, Josh Johnson, even that Thursday night game against the Colts, Flacco did okay. People kind of mocked Flacco playing. Uh, he did well. M Mike White had his moments. And I think I, I just kind of heard the same thing about Darnold where people were saying, you know, well, it's the Jets. It's a bad situation. Maybe part of it was Gase. But look, I think we saw with Darnold last year, it's, some of it's probably Darnold. I think, you know, I think sometimes people are just too quick to make excuses for these guys. Yeah, that, that could be. Uh, and you're closer to it. You know, I think somebody who's closer to it or – or, uh, you know, in some cases you talk to people that are, uh, especially if you talk to like a fan of the team, right? They, they're fed up. Uh, but I think right. a market can become fed up too. And I think people are fed up with the Jets. Don't want to hear it. They want results. They want to see their guy come in and make some waves, right? And do something and not have to just say, well, the same old thing. So I, I hear what you're saying. I think the people around the league are coming at, it, coming at it from outside that context. They're not sitting there tired of what the Jets are doing, right? They're looking at it a little bit fresher. Uh, and so at this point, probably the college eval holds a little bit more. Um, you know, he, because he's only played one year, I talked to 50 people. There's a number of those people who probably didn't see a lot of them, right? They're, they're watching a little bit from afar, uh, but then there may be a strain of guys who who, uh, who actually did play him. And I, I think some of the comments in there I try to use were focused from people that did see him, and that's what they thought. Do you get the sense that, hey, it's only one bad year, but a second bad year, you're picking top five again, it's a tough schedule. Do you get the sense another bad year they'd move on from him? Um, I don't know that because I don't know what they're feeling inside the building. Like, do they, uh, do they like the Kyler Murray contract, right? This came out. <laughs> Obviously that tells us that they have some real concerns about him. Uh, uh, I haven't heard too much 
you know, one way or the other on that with him. I haven't heard that they're fed up with him. I haven't heard that he's doesn't work at it or, or any of those things that could be a fatal flaw. I think usually you get uh, you're going to get a third year as a top five pick unless you're just absolute disaster. Yeah, I, boy, I think it's a it's a tough call because I actually think they might draft the quarterback. If he was really bad, they win four games. I don't know that Salah lasts. I don't know that Wilson lasts because remember, it's for, look, I, I'm not an expert on the college quarterbacks, but from what everyone says, Bryce Young, Stroud, I guess there's a Kentucky that guy that's good. It might be a situation where they draft another one. I don't know. Do they go the veteran route, Jimmy Garoppolo? That could be interesting, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a tough call. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's always comes down to who's actually available to you, right? You make mm-hmm. that call. Uh, there could be a situation where, you know what, we'd, we'd rather look at a third year of Zach Wilson than, than what's behind door number two. But if door number two is, hey, we're picking top fifth in the draft and we really like this prospect quarterback, we think he's a lot better, we're going to draft him and we'll we'll just cut our losses with Zach, right? And, and, and maybe we can get something in return from somebody who had a high eval on him and move on. I, I do agree that that could happen if it was the right person available and it looked bad enough this year. Uh, Daniel Jones, it's almost, you know, the best thing you could say about Daniel Jones is when he got hurt and he's gotten hurt too much. That's definitely an issue. When he got hurt, they basically couldn't get the ball past midfield last year, whether it was Fromm or Glennon. Uh, is there any sense of optimism with Jones, new system, Dayball? What are people saying about Daniel Jones? Yeah, the only optimism really is around Dayball, uh, you know, that he could come in and, and maybe give him a boost. But I don't think people are, I would say three-fourths of the people have felt like are not really expecting it to work out anyway, right? I think people feel like they're going to be uh, in the mix for quarterback next year, and they've signaled that they think that too, pretty much, right? They didn't pick up the option. They've been pretty deliberate in their approach, the Giants have. Uh, it's not like they're trying to, while they've made some nice, you know, attempts to upgrade the roster, it's not like they're all in on this year with Daniel Jones, right? You can, t- <laughs> they've got a little bit of a runway here, and I think they'll be in the market for a guy next year unless he surprises. Uh, which you could. We'll, we'll see. But I don't think we've seen enough to this point to feel like we're going to bet on that. Now, almost the worst thing for the Giants. Look, if he played great, you'd be happy because he played great. If he plays terrible, it's easy to move on. Almost the worst thing for the Giants if they won that eight, nine games, sort of that middle ground where they, you know, maybe they get a wild card. Then you can say, hey, what do we do? We don't really know that he's great. We don't want to move on. It's almost like an in-between year is the worst thing here for the Giants and Jones. Uh, a little bit. I'm sure they would rather have an in-between year than a bad year, you know, because they can, they can yeah. still make the eval. Uh, on their own. I think they're early enough in their tenure and should be empowered enough to make the right call if they need to make it. Um, and I, I kind of think they will. I, not that you can project who the next quarterback's going to be, that he's going to be good, but I think if they feel like they need to move on, I think they'll do that, even if he had a, you know, a, a good enough year that someone else could spin a narrative to say that he's our guy, right? You see that happen. Someone justifies the pick. They don't have to justify it. This isn't their guy. So they're not invested in him. I think that, that frees them up to do the right thing, even if he's good enough to justify keeping. Yeah. um, Just moving on to the rest of the list. I went through it and usually, you know, with these lists, look, it's a matter of taste. Usually you can find something that, wow, I can't believe this guy's there. It was actually, it looked pretty good to me. There was nothing that I had too much of a gripe with. What's, you know, you've been doing a lot of media the past couple of days. It feels like you've been everywhere. What's sort of been the most controversial part of this list so far? Yeah, I agree that it's really solid. And I think the methodology is very thorough. Uh, and I think the criteria is very good. Uh, so it does, most years when it comes out, I'm like, yeah, that's that makes sense to me. The, the most controversial things were the things that people seized upon was uh, in the Rogers section, there was a comment from somebody saying, hey, Rogers does a, a better job than Brady of elevating his own guys around him. So there's a, deb- a debate to have on that. Um, and 
I did have a follow-up conversation with a different coach about that. I said, hey, what do you think of that? Because I heard the feedback. You know, I said, do you think that was BS or do you think that was good? He got, and he kind of thought about it and he goes, you know, the thing about New England is they're so into making you conform to them and be there, do it their way and in their system. And if not, you can almost be blackballed or out of there as a receiver. It may be harder to make it there as a receiver. And I, and I looked up just the number of people. If you look at the elite season guys, I, did, I just did this for I'm going to back up. Robert Tunyon was the guy I thought of when that comment was made because he had double-digit touchdown passes and no one was really talking about him before that. And I looked up all the double-digit touchdown catchers for uh, for Brady and for Rodgers. And Brady in six additional seasons had three. It was Moss, it was Gronkowski, and it was Mike Evans. Guys who would do that no matter who's playing, right? Quarterback. No knock on Brady. He's the greatest. Rodgers had a bunch of guys, had like six guys, and it was like Tunyon and James Jones and Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson, a collection of some really good pros. But maybe if I was going to try to make a case, you know, maybe there's something there. Uh, that was a little controversial. Then Lamar Jackson, people went nuts on because uh, they singled out one aspect of, of a quote uh, and ran with it as if that was the whole quote, which... That's what happens on social media, right? I mean, that that that's you you live with that when you put something out there, people are going to seize on the one thing. But I thought the I thought the league is 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 generally respectful of Lamar Jackson. They do think that the limitations in his ability to throw the ball when you have to throw the ball keeps him out of tier one. But he actually rose in his average grade. But because one guy said, "Look, I don't care if he wins twelve MVPs, he's not tier one." in the context of a bigger thing, that really took off as a, because it sounds like a very unreasonable thing to say. What do you mean? But you have to get into the nuance of what a tier one quarterback is. And people in the NFL believe, and I believe correctly, that you need to have a mastery of uh, of the of a peer pass uh, situation, which means, hey, you're behind by a lot, in a, maybe you're even in a playoff game, and we have to throw when they know we're going to throw. That doesn't look good for Baltimore. That hasn't looked good. So that's why he's right at the cusp of tier one, but hasn't gotten in. And I think that quote was, um, you know, definitely seized upon. That's probably easily the most controversial thing, the thing that's made the most waves. And I just sort of shrug and say, well, if you want to single out that part of it, go for it. But there's there's context around that that makes it, to me, fit and not be an attack on Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Uh, somebody I talk about a lot, and I think he nailed it. I think it's the perfect number, but I'm curious. Did people have an issue with Cousins at 15? Because I, I remember some of the GMs saying, you know what, he's a little soft, little comes up small in big situations. The stats are good. Did you get any sort of pushback here on Cousins at 15? Um, no. No one who put him in two was just overly adamant about it. They're like, they were just like, you know what, this guy is an accurate passer who probably is a little bit maligned. And he had a coach in Mike Zimmer who, who didn't like him and made no bones about that. And that he's actually done a really good job of running their offense. And it's probably better than you think as a passer. So th those are the twos. But I think most people feel like he's a guy who has kind of two production, but you really feel like he's a three. And so he's at the top of the he's he's usually straddling that line. But you know, like if they make the playoffs or something, maybe he bumps just a half tick up and is at the bottom of two. I think you could make a case that he should, Matt Ryan's at the bottom of two. You could make a case that Cousins should be above him or they should swap. I, I don't think that would be a problem. But two and a half, right? That's Kirk Cousins. He's a two and a half. He's right in between. And if you look at the top two tiers, I feel like those are the quarterbacks that you're not really looking to replace if you're, if you're on a team. And then three and four, you, 
they're either young, so you're not going to replace them, but you're not sure. Or you could conceive a way that you would replace Garoppolo or Tannehill or Mayfield or Wentz. They're all kind of guys who've been replaced, right? Jalen Hurts maybe in a year. Goff has been. Cousins, he's at the top of that where, you know, maybe he would have been replaced if they could get out of his contract, right? But they sort of had to keep rolling it over because he's probably better than what they think is the alternative. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good way of putting it. Just a couple quick ones before we get out of here. You mentioned Hurts. He's kind of a polarizing one. There's even with a divide within Eagles fans. Some people think he's really good. Some people think not good enough. I think he's better than I thought he would be, but I'm not sure he's good enough. What's sort of the consensus here on Hurts? Uh, for a Philly team, a lot of people like it. It's a lot of people's you know sleeper pick to you know, get to a Super Bowl, that kind of thing. What are, what are your thoughts here on Hurts? Everybody loves the guy, the, the professional. He's tough. He's a competitor. Um, and they love the way they built the offense around him to his strengths, but they feel ultimately that you know they're really going to have to develop their pass game uh, or get a different quarterback probably to make the deep push in the playoffs. And we saw last year they got there, and then you know when they were playing against a real contender, it was uh, it was not a very close game. So uh, there is some hope. I'd say in a minority of voters that he can that Hertz can develop enough as a passer to take them there. But I think most people feel like this is probably the offense that's going to suit him best and uh, need to be convinced more. Maybe with a season from him this year, they get A.J. Brown. Maybe he uh, develops and convince them. But I think most people feel like they're going to either plateau uh, as sort of a good team that can't go far or maybe need to be looking at a quarterback. Is Tua sort of in that same boat? Alabama quarterback as well, where, hey, this is it. This is kind of the make or break. We brought in Hill. He has Waddle. Uh, I know he was picked high, but it, it's kind of make or break for Tua. I think people like Jalen Hurts more than they like Tua. And, wow. and that is just the competitor that Jason Jalen Hurts is, too. Uh, that was one of the points in the piece that of the three Alabama quarterbacks, you know, Mac Jones and Hurts were the real competitors and that, uh, uh, you know, of the two. And so, uh, there's just not a lot that people feel like like people feel like with Jalen Hurts, you're playing to his strengths the way they play. And yes, there's limitations that make you do that, but you're really you're really getting behind a tangible strength. I think people feel like with with Tua, you're really working around the fact that there might not be a lot of strengths. Right. Like, is there something with Tua you can really hang your hat on? He is accurate, but is there something you can really, really really hang your hat on and I it feels like to me they're going to game it up with the run game and they've got great weapons but if they win it's not going to be because of him and if you look at how they've won even so far it was because their defense their special teams have played heroically at times not because we've seen any sign that Tua can make them win yeah, and even last year, played a bunch of backup quarterbacks. They had a crazy stretch. I think it was Ian oh, Book yeah. on Monday night. I mean, it was just total fool's gold, where at the end of the year, they were still 7-7 seven and seven, had a chance to get in. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you got into this. I'm, I'd be curious, you know, what people thought. Where did people miss the boat onto it? How were people this wrong? I mean, it's the guy that went ahead of Herbert, and Herbert's an, an interesting one, not that not one that I disagree with. But uh, basically, I guess my question, how did people get to us so wrong? Of course, now, in retrospect, all the other teams had Herbert clearly higher on their boards, right? Oh, always. <laughs> Everyone loved Giannis in, in, uh, in the NBA. Everyone was just, they were going to pick him if the Bucs weren't. It's funny how that works. The things people have to, the, the things people guess on to try to, uh, in projecting out of college, you know, it really seems imprecise. And I think on Herbert, people, people sort of question the... Number one, the offense he played and didn't like, but he obviously had talent. But they questioned they questioned him a little bit, and 
obviously in retrospect, that doesn't seem to be a legitimate at all. Um, it's amazing. That's just an amazing part of the NFL to me is how do you, how is it so hard sometimes to project when you look at Justin Herbert, like what would you say you don't like about him right now? Right. But coming out, a lot of people were like, just a little unsure. I'm not sure. It's amazing to me. If that can be solved, you'll, you'll win GM of the year eight times, you know? Yeah, and people had him. They had him as a tier one. I will say this: I don't disagree. I think he's incredible. If they don't make the playoffs again this year, there's start. There's going to be a little pushback on uh, sooner or later. This guy's got to win. Not that look, uh, it's a team sport. I totally get that, but I would think at some point he's got to win. And just to go back to Tua, where do you think people went wrong on Tua? Was it he had so many weapons in Alabama? People got fooled by that. Uh, that could be. I, I probably need to research that a little bit more yeah. to, to get the great answer because I'm not really the draft Nick. You know, I don't do right. a lot as much stuff before the draft, but um, certainly he is. The people that did like him really liked his accuracy uh, on that, but I, I guess I could have a better answer on that. And I think it just gets to the imprecision that's inherent in uh, evaluating the guys coming out of college when they're not just an absolute sure bet, right? Some Sometimes you get the alignment of, kind of a good team, a good system, a good player, and good results. And when all those things check out, it's Andrew Luck, right? And good good physical, right? Good, He's a tall or he's got a great arm or whatever. Sometimes those line up and that's when they get it right. But when, when two or three of those things you're not sure on, it seems like it's pretty easy for it to uh, manifest itself in the pros. Maybe we don't get to see the pro style you know, just see them go through everything they have to go through in the NFL um, at the college level. Yeah, because when you play on the great team, the Alabama, you know, USC back in the day, you have two or three pro receivers, you got pro running backs, a pro line, you're not getting hit, you got a clean pocket. It's almost, it, it's not, a, you know, a fair fight. It's it's kind of apples to oranges. It is a little bit, yeah, yeah. But but to a last year, people even were not high on him, and I, they aren't now, but you know, he is, they do think he's set up to do well, so they may they may get the best of him this year. And then you were talking about, wouldn't it be bad if Daniel Jones had a good enough year that they mistakenly invested in him? But two is a more dangerous situation that way because the people that drafted him and need to maybe demonstrate to the owner that possibly that this is the right pick, um, you know, are there. And so if they have built up their team enough around him, what if they made the playoffs yet you know, the eye test isn't there for Tua. Um, that could be spun in different ways, but I don't know that he's necessarily going to, I don't like, I don't think he's going to ever get out of the bottom two tier or bottom tier three and four. Yeah. And then if he gets into the playoffs, do you, do you go ahead and do you pay him? Do you give him the big money, the long-term deal? I feel like teams sometimes if they pay him like the man, they think they have the man. They do this in the NBA too, where it's just, it doesn't quite work like that. It's hard. It is hard. It's, it's a very hard position because it is a limited supply. And uh, if you are really bad at the position, then um, you know your whole regime can fail, right? Everyone can be fired because ultimately the results matter for the owner of the team usually. And so sometimes like you, know, you may want better than Kirk Cousins, but you can you can be somewhere for five or six years with Kirk Cousins because you're going to be good. You know, he's not, you're not going to be horrific on offense. He's a good quarterback. He's a good pro quarterback. I've been a Vikings fan since the mid-90s, and they've, they haven't had a franchise guy. They had Favre for a year. You know, Culpepper looked like he'd be the guy. 
and you go you draft your Tavares Jackson. You draft you know this guy. You you know you bring Cousins in. Look what the Colts have done. The Colts, you know, one year it's Phil Rivers. Now it's you know then it's Wentz. Then they're going to give Matt Ryan a chance. So once you start looking for that guy, it's a, it, it could take you a while to find him. Are are you a Viking fan or were you? Yeah. So I am. So would you rather? That's an interesting one. Would you rather have the indie situation where you're kind of trying a bunch of different things and Rivers was, was had an okay season Wentz wasn't as bad as everyone says I mean right. the stats weren't as bad and now you got Matt Ryan would you better be trying that or just be locked in with Kirk Cousins for the whole time to, to, before I answer that I would say I think they'll be pretty good this year and they'll probably make the playoffs they'll be better with a new coach yeah. I thought this was a good opportunity to hit the reset button trade Cousins to the Colts for picks it was a bad quarterback draft you could have gotten picks back, could have maybe traded Cook, maybe traded Thielen. You're bad this year. You get your cap situated, and then you got one of the you know the Alabama quarterback or the Ohio State quarterback next year. I think this was a good chance to reset. I don't think you can win with Cousins making the money makes. I would probably prefer the Indy way. Yeah, here's the thing, though. I don't know that Indy would have wanted him, you know, at that price. Could have traded him back to Washington, got some picks, make it come full circle. <laughs> somebody would have taken him. I think it was such a bad quarterback draft. I think somebody would have taken him, giving you something decent. You could have gotten off of it. You could have yeah. just sort of reset. They're sort of in purgatory where, hey, they're pretty good. If things go well, they can get in, maybe win a round. I don't know that they're a Super Bowl contender, though. Yeah, I, I think your analysis is good. I do think that they could have a decent season. Mike, appreciate it. I know you've done a lot of these. Let everyone know uh, where they can find your work. Sure, definitely at The Athletic. Uh, you can... You can get our app, go into one of my stories, subscribe from there. You can also find me on Twitter at Sando NFL. It's S-A-N-D-O NFL. Mike, appreciate it. We'll catch up down the road. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Enjoyed that one. Thank you to Mike Sando. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to download, rate, review, and subscribe. See you guys Monday. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbooks.